Hello and welcome to episode number 31 of Making Media Now, the filmmaker's collaborative podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me on this episode is Duncan Meisel, campaign director of an organization called Clean Creatives. Clean Creatives is actively engaging with, as their name implies, creatives, working within the public relations, advertising, and marketing fields to convince them to stop working with clients whose bottom line depends on the continued burning of vast quantities of fossil fuels. Earlier this year, Clean Creatives issued a report that revealed the connections between the world's largest public relations and advertising agencies and the fossil fuel industry, as well as a video, a website, and a call to their fellow creatives to take a pledge to accept no fossil fuel money. It may seem like the group faces an uphill battle, given the amount of money at stake and the huge influence wielded by the American Petroleum Institute and its members, but Clean Creative's moment could be here. Judging by the reduced fossil fuel revenue at some advertising agencies, a recent spate of lawsuits regarding deceptive climate denial advertising, and big changes in American culture at large. Duncan joined me for this conversation from his home in Austin, Texas. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And now on to my conversation with Duncan Meisel. Hello and welcome, Duncan Meisel. Duncan is the campaign manager for an organization called Clean Creatives. Welcome to Making Media Now, Duncan. Thank you so much. Very glad to be here. Tell us what and who Clean Creatives are. So Clean Creatives is a project that's bringing together leading advertising and public relations agencies, their staff, and their clients to address the PR and ad industry's role in supporting fossil fuel companies and promoting climate change. Um, And we were started um, as part of a project called Fossil Free Media, which provides support to um, grassroots climate justice organizations. Um, And our goal is really to address um, the fact that advertising and public relations is a key pillar of um, big oil, coal, and gas companies planning to obstruct climate action. Um, So we're bringing people together to say that um, we would like or to essentially pledge not to work with those companies, their front groups or trade associations anymore. And Clean Creatives is a, re- is a relatively new initiative. Is that correct? That's right. It got started in November. And as of today, we have about 80 agencies that have signed our pledge and over 180 individual creatives. And are these agencies mostly U.S. agencies or is this an international effort? Um, it's primarily U.S. agencies just because that's where we are. Um, right. But We do have relationships with agencies in the UK, in the Netherlands, um, in Germany. Um, We have one that signed on from Panama. Um, And there's actually a very similar organization in Australia with a very similar mission that has um, racked up a lot of wins there too as well. I know that you issued a press release early in the year. What's the gist? What's the, seeing where is it's PR and media? 
in, in advertising. What was your pitch? So our pitch um, to agencies themselves is that you that this is an opportunity to really lead on a defining issue for um, your staff, in particular, younger staff. That young people. Um, we did a poll of uh, creatives under thirty-five in the industry. Um, we found that eighty-seven percent of them. Um, say that they want to work for a company that's aligned with the values and issues that matter to them most. And if you're a young person under 35, one of those top issues is absolutely climate change. And so for agencies that are using, looking to recruit and develop young talent, um, this is a really big priority, uh, being able to show that you're in alignment with um, young people who are marching in literally record numbers um, to say that they want to see climate action. And the other thing is... Um, a lot of big brands like uh, consumer packaged goods um, are focusing increasingly on climate and values-driven marketing. And when it comes to um, those values that they're trying to promote and the sustainability initiatives that they're trying to develop, um, big oil, coal, and gas companies are on the opposite side of all of those issues, basically. In the response to your press release and uh, your essentially your appeal, uh, to agencies and also people working within the agencies. Are you finding the individuals who are signing on, do they typically fall or do they tend to fall within certain areas of expertise? Are you getting more creative directors than accountant people, et cetera? It's actually a pretty wide spectrum so far. Um, I think the a lot of the reason that we decided to run this campaign um, is just based on my own experience. I, mean, I, I live in Austin, Texas. Um, which has a major agency here, um, GSDNM. And um, last fall in September or so, um, you know, my co-founder and I we were thinking about um, the U.S. election and all the advertisements that were being run by the American Petroleum Institute. And we were just, you know, trying to see kind of who, who made them. And it turns out that it was GSDNM. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm a young person, you know, I'm in my thirties. Um, I guess that's young, the millennial years, forever childhood. Um, Trust me, it's young. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I was like, there is no way that these smart, creative people in Austin, Texas are excited about working for the American Petroleum Institute. This is not what sets them on fire. Yeah. And so um, that to me was like a really big insight was just like, aha, it's probably the case across all sorts of agencies um, that young people in particular, but you know, I would even say just like, you know, creatives and advertising executives, these are people who live in big cities um, that tend to vote very progressively. Um, this is not the thing that they're excited about. They don't love working for oil and gas. And I, I think that really is what has driven us towards this campaign. And we found that a lot of people um, really resonate with the appeal and the conversation we're trying to start. Are these larger agency advertising agencies and PR firms and then, you know, marketing agencies, have you, have you found that they've got a, uh, a pretty pat rationale for why they do the work they do? Well, it's very interesting that most of the agencies that have these big clients like BP or Shell or Chevron, um, they don't advertise it. They don't talk a lot about it. And I don't think they're particularly proud of it in a way. Um, I'm sure on one level, it's probably short-term lucrative, um, but you can't make money on a planet that has warmed past two degrees. So um, there is a, a long-term downside, we'll say. Uh, so most of the time, they are avoiding the question, I would say. And when they do engage, um, 
you know, um, what's the best metaphor here? Drinking your own Kool-Aid? <laughs> um, okay. You know, the, the messages that they're sending about, oh, we're so ready to change. You know, we're finally investing in renewable energy. Look at our net zero targets. You know, I, I think that sinks in. I think they're sort of, um, I think they're they're listening to their own uh, messages a little too closely. Uh, so, you know, it, it's really nothing new. Like when you look at the actual numbers behind what oil companies are investing in renewable energy or carbon capture and storage, it's hilariously minuscule. Um, the International Energy Agency said uh, that as of at least 2019, and this is pretty consistent to now, um, that actually 99.2% of capital investments by oil companies is going into more um, research and development of fossil fuel assets, and only 0.8% is going into renewables and uh, carbon capture and storage. So the, the propaganda is strong and it is very misleading. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the people who um, it, it works on people in the industry, too. There's a term that you used in your material called greenwashing. How do you how do you define greenwashing? You know, it's it's a it's one of those things where you kind of um, there isn't a really consistent definition. It's, um, it's sort of a you know it when you see it, but essentially what it is is where companies um, promote sustainable initiatives in a way that misleads the public about their fundamental business model or their overall impact on the planet. Um, so a great example of this is um, Exxon. Oh, sorry, yes, Exxon who for years and years has been advertising that they're developing um, biofuels from algae. Um, this is a major ad campaign. It's been their primary ad campaign across many markets for years. And you cannot buy fuel from algae, from Exxon. No one, you, it's literally impossible to do. And so Exxon spends over 99% in particular them um, of their money developing more oil and gas reserves or transporting it or burning it. And so advertising this algae program is misleading the public about what their focus is and what their overall impact actually is. So they're flat out not doing it. And yet they're advertising saying they are doing it. Um, so they actually are developed. They do spend money on, you know, big vats of algae, but you can't buy it. Like you can't burn it. You know, it's not something they have not succeeded at selling algae biofuels to anybody. And um, so the advertisement, it's, you know, they're saying things like, oh, we're, we're spending a bunch of money on this, but it's not, it's not hitting the consumer. It's not part of their actual business model um, in terms of what they make money on. So from a, from the standpoint of a, of, of a citizen that likes to think of themselves um, as being pro-environment, and they're, you know, they're sitting on their couch on a Sunday morning watching one of the Sunday morning news shows. And this beautifully produced 60 minute mini film uh, brought to you by Exxon or Shell that that shows this stunning cinematography of wildlife pres uh, preservations. And, you know, we're doing all we can to uh, invest in renewable energy and so forth. Uh, what is the truth to propaganda ratio in, in ads such as those? And how big a factor are those types of ad campaigns in, in an effort to greenwash? I, I, those advertisements are extremely effective. And I think they're effective in not just um, sort of leaving a fuzzy feeling in the minds of consumers, but in actually obstructing governments from doing more to uh, restrict carbon pollution. That's their main goal. You know, the other, when you're watching those short films, you're watching the advertisements, they're not, 
you know, telling you to race to the pump, you know, they're not necessarily getting you advertising oil per se, they're advertising the brand image of the company. Mm -hmm. And the goal of that is to keep senators and congressmen from sitting down and saying, okay, we have a problem. These guys are behind it and we need to do something about it. That's their mission. And so those advertisements, I think, are extremely misleading. And I, I think the, the number of misleading statements to truthful uh, statements is extremely high. Um, to take another quick example, um, you know, the advertisements that Shell's main campaign right now are focused on is uh, what they call a net zero emissions target by 2050. And, uh, you know, there's several things that you could sort of look at there just on the substance of what that target contains. But it's sort of beside the point, because when you go to X or Shell's statement to their investors and their shareholders, and you look in the legal disclosure at the bottom, they say in, in black and white that Shell's operating plans and budgets do not reflect their net zero uh, emissions target. And so at the point at which your operating plans and your budget don't reflect the target, your advertising shouldn't either. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the kind of misleading content that we're dealing with here. You know, when I was, when I was looking at your materials and reading uh, more about your initiative, what it brought to mind for me uh, was the way PR and advertising distance themselves, I guess is the word, uh, from tobacco companies and also in the manner that alcohol wa- was advertised for years. When you all were putting together uh, sort of your, your plan, were there any historical precedents that you studied to figure out how to reach the, the decision makers at these agencies and then those who work for them? Absolutely. I think the tobacco parallel is really striking. And I think the unfortunate thing about that comparison is that a lot of advertising companies did not back away from tobacco until they were regulated out of that work. Um, it wasn't until you know the government said you can't put it on the race cars, you can't put it on the billboards, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff, you can't put it on TV. Um, it, it took a back um, for the companies to step back. I think there's a lot of I don't know, regret, um, distaste about that experience that I think people, once they had the chance to step away, they were just like, wow, that was, we did a terrible thing here. But in, in positive side of that is you have to remember that tobacco advertisements were some of the most iconic, most profitable, most long running advertising campaigns in history. Um, Joe Campbell, Marlboro Man, um, Lucky Strike and the Doctors, like all this stuff. And the company, the, the advertising company survived that ship. It wasn't catastrophic to the business. Of course, it was hard. Um, but at the point in which they made that transition, there was other work to do. And I think that's the thing that we're trying to reflect on, too, is that um, the industry has made these kinds of shifts before, and they've been successful in it. And uh, it's led to positive outcomes for the planet and for the people on it. Do yourself and your team at Clean Creatives, do you come at this initiative uh, with insight as to how PR firms and adverta- advertising agencies are run? Or do you feel like you come at it more as environmentalists? So I think that we are, um, we, our goal is to learn from the people inside the industry and to build a partnership um, with people who want to see change. Um, my background certainly is in climate communications as like a out, sort of outside organizer, I would say. Um, you know, I worked on the fossil fuel investment campaign at 350.org. I organized against the Keystone Pipeline. You know, that's that's my background. I'm not going to, you know, can't, can't dis- distance myself from that. But, sure. you know, the, the decisions we're making um, is we want to build something that works for agencies. Um, we want to build something that 
is not trying to, we're not trying to say, you know, every project you need to do from now on has to be a passion project and that you're going to give up on the business model that's built your agency. No, no, like we're trying to build a campaign that focuses on the biggest impact that advertising agencies can have on the carbon pollution problem, um, which is stepping away from big polluters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I spoke with an agency recently that said, oh, we're, we're really focusing on sustainability. We built this entire, um, you know, uh, circular economy metric, and we're going to measure the carbon from all the things we sell and da, 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 da. And I was surprised. I was like, that's hard. That is hard work. <laughs> it involves a lot of technical details. Um, it involves a lot of hard conversations with every single one of your customers. We actually really want to build something that's in a, in a certain way, bigger and smaller. Um, this is a commitment that any agency can make that will have a really big impact on what are the biggest players, the biggest impact um, on the climate, um, these fossil fuel companies. But it doesn't require that sort of like deep transformation of every aspect of your business. It's supposed to be right-sized. And uh, I, I'm really optimistic about our ability to make this work for agencies and for it to be um, actionable. And that's, you know, if you're, if you, the other way I look at it is, you know, you're, <laughs> Getting rid of the disposable cups uh, in your office, um, getting rid of VP uh, should be the next step. <laughs> yeah, you know, it makes me wonder uh, what have you have you found that from an age from the agency's perspective is this ideologically driven or are they just going where the money is? I mean, if you know, if if next year all of a sudden um, alternative uh, energy providers had the advertising budget of a BP or an Exxon or a Shell, has the decision then been made for them? You could look at it that actually some of the companies that do have budgets as big as BP or Chevron or Shell actually are starting that. Like that in a certain way is GM now. What was GM's Super Bowl ad this year? Excellent it was point. about electric vehicles. Right. Um, what does, uh, what are Unilever's top priorities? It's sustainability for across all of their brands. So really um, I, I think the choice is gonna be starker and starker. Um, that if you're a, an, a, an agency and you want to compete for BP's business and GM's business, their business models are not aligned. BP is still investing $13 billion a year in more oil and gas. Mm-hmm. If GM achieves its goal of selling 100% electric vehicles by 2035, that oil and gas, the money that BP is expecting to make, won't come through. Like those, those are fundamentally in opposition to each other now. So I think that's the challenge that they're going to face. And I think um, the sooner that agencies put themselves on the right side of that transition, um, I think the better off they'll be. You made an interesting point at the uh, the beginning of our conversation when I was asking you about, you know, the buy-in that you've been getting. And you mentioned that you've been getting a lot of buy-in from millennials who are working in these agencies. Do you think that getting a toehold with that demographic is, is particularly powerful? I often wonder, you know, if you, if you spend time say on LinkedIn and you know, LinkedIn to me always sort of feels like, you know, it's the, it's the table where all the members of the, of the uh, pep club would sit in the cafeteria where, you know, everybody's posting about how ecstatic they are about some new initiative that, you know, they're an assistant to an assistant to a coordinator to an assistant on. And and it, it it feels to me, if you filter everything down to such a minute level, it's very easy to just keep your head down and say, listen, this is just my job. This is just my job. And, you know, they I don't really have a 
philosophical connection uh, to what the end product is. But from what you're saying, it feels to me like that connection has to be made. I think that connection is one that millennial and younger uh, generation are making for themselves. I think they're just sort of coming into the work with that perspective, that that's, that's something they would prefer. Um, and I also think in the context of any creative enterprise, that having that deeper buy-in leads to better work. I, I just think that, you know, if you're able to come to work and not have to do that sort of segmenting, not have to kind of wall yourself off and say like, okay, this is just my job, then you're going to bring your whole energy to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, when you leave the office, you'll be sort of in your daydreaming moments, like the best ideas can come from you in the shower. And if you're sort of uh, building that wall between you and yourself and your work, um, you, you know, that's harder to do. So I, I think it leads to better work. I think it will lead to stronger workplaces. And again, it's not saying that every single project you need to do needs to be a passion project. But I think taking these really dangerous companies kind of off the table for agencies creates a space to be more present and more alert in the work that maybe doesn't align 100% with your values, but you can say, all right, I can get with this. What kind of pushback, if any, have you received from the advertising or public relations industry? Well, so far, they're sort of repeating the same line, uh, which is, you know, we want to help these companies communicate about their transition. And, you know, we think everybody has a right to be heard in, in the marketplace of ideas and, you know, pretty standard stuff. But I don't know, I, I think this is going to be hard to say no to at a certain level. You know, I, the, um, you know, conglomerate WPP on Earth Day had a really interesting pledge where they said that they were going to reduce the actual impact of all their direct operations, including their media buying, um, they're going to reduce the carbon impact of those to zero, uh, which is terrific. Um, And it would mean, you know, that means a lot if you're selling cars or widgets or whatever. But if you're an advertising agency, the biggest part of your impact is the work you do for your clients. And they actually did a little bit of math. I actually did a little bit of math because one of WPP's biggest clients is BP. And if WPP increases the sales of BP's current business, by 0.3%, which is to say, if they do their job at all, yeah. they wipe out all the carbon, all the gains they've made by reducing their carbon to zero. So I think at the point in which companies are starting to make those commitments and recognizing that this has to be a priority for their business outside of like the immediate value of it, mm-hmm. WPP doesn't make any money off reducing their carbon output to zero. It's just the right thing to do. I think the point in which they sort of begin to incorporate that into their business model, this will be um, an inevitable choice that they have to make. Does it feel to you like after all is said and done, what's really going to have to happen is that demand is going to have to be driven at the consumer level? Well, the interesting thing here is that advertising really exists at the pivot point between industry decisions and consumer decisions. This is where consumer opinions are and options are shaped. Okay. And that's why I think there's a really proactive role for communicators to play, that they can be, take responsibility for saying, presenting the options to the public about what they can and should demand. This is also the way in which incumbent companies like these oil companies, which, again, spend tens of billions of dollars now, even in the year 2021, investing in new oil and gas reserves. This is the point in which they can, they can sort of force their business model on the public. And, and make sure and, you know, to take their current investment strategy and just continue making money off of it. So I, I think of advertising as a really unique place of opportunity and, and responsibility that can shift those dynamics in a positive way. You know, when, when I was, uh, again, reading more about your initiative, it brought to mind a documentary that you're probably aware of called Merchants of Doubt. 
Yes. Yeah. And uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar with it, the thesis of the film is it's it's really it's a study about all of the vested interests that um, tried to introduce doubt into what was settled science sort of historically. You know, and it went back to you mentioned earlier, the uh, the doctor who was advertising cigarettes. You know, there were a lot of doctors who were paid by a lot of tobacco companies to say that cigarettes are fine. And, you know, I, I wonder if 10 years years from now, 15 years from now, if the um, petroleum industry, the fossil fuel industry is going to be viewed in the same light with people saying, could you believe they advertise that? I mean, I I think it's happening really soon. I mean, I I was just reading before our conversation about the International Energy Agency predicting that there will be 140 million electric vehicles on the roads by the end of this decade, at least and potentially up to 230 million if governments begin to you know, take the climate action they've been promising. So that's going to create a massive problem for the business model of oil and gas. And I think they're going to start to look more like the coal companies that have been going bankrupt and people sort of saying like, wow, that was a crazy thing we did. Let's not do that again. You know, I think people are going to wake up from the, the strange, uh, compelling role that oil money can play on the mind. Right. And on the other side, you know, there's going to be a massive opportunity for communicating the the the, the message and the story and the value and the benefits of alternatives and That's solutions. Great. And what a privilege in a way to be able to do that, to take responsibility for helping lead a transition to solve the biggest problem that humanity's ever faced. You know, like I, I just think that when you look at it from the opportunity perspective to play a really positive role in this world historic event, um, the world historic transition. That's amazing. Like who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Like if if saving the planet isn't uh, a boost to your brand equity, I don't, I don't know what is. (laughs) Duncan, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, tell us what clean creatives is all about. This is a fascinating initiative. Uh, I'm going to be following it and tentacles that it, that it grows for listeners who are interested in learning more and maybe even getting involved. uh, Where do you want to point them? Best place to get in touch with us is at cleancreatives.org. We have a detailed breakdown of the companies that we're asking people to pledge not to work with. Um, We have sort of the latest numbers of who's involved. Um, we have a lot more information about why we think this is the right choice for agencies. And uh, it also has my email address if you'd like to get in touch with me. So please reach out. I'll also make sure that all that information is in the program notes of the podcast. Duncan Meisel, campaign manager for Clean Creatives. Thank you again for your time. And uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Michael.